Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 17 today. We are going to continue to expand upon the covenant that God has made with Abram, Abraham starting in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis where he called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said, go to the land that I have promised you and I will give you children, I will give you descendants, I will give you the land and I will make you a blessing to the nations around you. In chapter 15, those promises are repeated and we're given the sign, the symbol of God walking between the animals that had been cut as he had directed Abram. And in chapter 17, we, we get uh, the next sign of the covenant. So hear the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, 
and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, as we look toward this sign of your covenant with Abraham and Sarah and all of his descendants, all of their descendants, we ask that you open our eyes. Help us to see your glory. Help us to see your majesty. Help us to see your salvation. Open our ears so that we might hear how you deal with your people tenderly and faithfully. And Lord, open our hearts to be changed by you and by your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. So have you ever looked through the accounts of the Old Testament, specifically like the, the narrative books, like maybe Genesis, the beginning of Exodus, Judges, and those types of books, and you, you think, man, I, I, I wish God would speak to me like he did to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. At every turn on the pages of Scripture, God is there speaking with his people, speaking with those he has called, and walking along beside them. If I'm honest with myself and with you, I've thought those things before. It'd be nice to have God just come and say, hey, this is what I need you to do. Hey, this is what I want you to do. Hey, this is what I want you to preach about this coming Sunday. But when we ask that question, we, we kind of miss something. We have a tendency when we read the Scriptures when the, when the, in the 17th century when the verse and chapter divisions were added to the Scriptures, we... We lost a little bit of something. We lost the flow of the narrative. And then preachers come along and they break up the flow of the narrative along the, the verse and the chapter divisions. And we miss very important things. And the thing we miss is found there in verse 1 when compared to verse 16 of the previous chapter. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Israel. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said... You catch that there? 86 to 99, how many years is that? 13 years. More than likely, 13 years of silence, or at least we don't have recorded any other time that God has come to speak to Abraham. But Abraham, at the end of the last chapter, had, had messed things up. He had had a child by Hagar. He and Sarah and Hagar had taken things into their own hands. God had come, restored Hagar and Ishmael to the family, uh, really restored Abraham and Sarah and Hagar together as they had their, their problems. And then he said to Abram, I will give you a son. And then nothing for 13 years. Abram just living his life. Abram just remembering God had promised to give me the land. God had promised to give me children. God had promised to make me a blessing. And I'm raising my son by... Someone other than Sarah who is not the child of promise waiting for 13 years. Can you imagine how expectant Abraham was when God finally did show up and say, hey, let's talk. And so that's what we're going to look at today is what God said to Abraham after those 13 years of silence as Abraham waited patiently for the Lord. We're going to see that God gives a covenant relationship. We're going to talk a little bit about what that covenant relationship is. We're going to see God's role in the covenant we're going to see Abraham's role in the covenant, and we're going to see uh, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah's role in the covenant as well as Abraham's reaction to the covenant. So first, God's role in the covenant. Now let me, let me explain a little bit what a covenant is. 
It was a document that during the time of the ancient Near East defined what the relationship was between a strong king and a weaker servant or a weaker king. Typically, the stronger king would come in and do something for the weaker city-state, the weaker uh, political organization or the, or the weaker person. And the covenant would be based in that. It would be based in, I am the strong king and this is what I have done for you. And then there would be rules of life within the covenant. So I will do certain things, you will do certain things. There's blessings for both of us keeping our ends of the bargain. There's curses or punishments for breaking, for either of us breaking the end of the bargain. And there were stipulations for the covenant to go on even after we passed away. would go on to our descendants and to their descendants as well. And we really kind of see all these things show up in this small covenant here. Well, actually, this is a very large covenant. Um, it's a very vague in some areas. It'll be filled out more when Moses comes along um, and we get the law. Actually, the Ten Commandments is one of the best um, examples of a covenant structure. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of the slavery. Do these ten things to glorify me and go on. So what is God's role in the covenant? What does God obligate himself to do? Now, some of the promises in this covenant, uh, in this account of the covenant are repeat promises from before. Previously, in chapter 12 and 15, God had obligated himself to give land to Abraham and his descendants. And we have the repetition of that here. Previously, God had obligated himself uh, to give descendants to Abraham And it repeats that here. In fact, not only through the child of promise, which is Isaac, we're told a little bit later in the chapter, but he's also going to give large descendants to Ishmael. He promises in this covenant, in in this expansion of the covenant, to bless Ishmael, even though he was not the child of promise that God had promised to Abraham that he would give. But God promises something in this particular covenant that he has not promised previously. And it's found twice. He says, I will establish my covenant with you as an everlasting covenant for you and your descendants to be your God and the God of your descendants from verse seven. And then at the end of verse eight, he says, I will be their God. This is the foundation of the covenant here that God will be Abraham's God and God will be the descendant, the God of the descendants of Abraham. And it is something that we can miss if we're not careful. Let's think a moment about what we've learned about God so far in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he spoke all of creation into existence. With the mere sound of his voice, with the mere action of his will, he, the powerful creative God spoke all things into existence. He then formed humanity out of the dust of the earth, breathed life into them. This creator God, this This powerful creator God actually has shown his creative power as the basis for his promise to give Abraham children. He promised redemption when humanity rebelled. He rewarded blamelessness to Enoch and to Noah as they walked with him. He destroyed sinful humanity with a flood and began again with Noah. This God of power, this God of creativity, this God of glory and holiness and justice and righteousness who exist, he promises to be the God of Abraham. What does it mean to be the God of Abraham? We think today 
whatever your view of your current president is, uh, we, we say things like, you know, he is our president. What does it mean for him to be our president and what does it mean for God to be our God? I think God is our God in a far different way than the president is our president. The president has power. The president has um, authority. And he uses those things on behalf of all of the people. But our God is our God in that he enters into the individual lives of his people. What has he done for Abraham so far? He's guided him from Ur to Canaan. He's protected Abraham from his own sinful decisions, whether in Egypt or with Hagar or with um, Abimelech later on in the story. He's blessed Abraham so far with economic wealth. And he isn't just going to represent Abram's best interest in the council of the Trinity. God is going to be Abraham's God by taking an active relational role in Abraham's life and in the life of his family. I was listening to an interview with a man by the name of Eric Greitens. He's the was recently elected to be governor of Missouri. He's the second youngest governor ever elected. I have no idea what party he ran for. That was not the point of the interview. The interviewer was asking him, what did you do as you ran? Well, he said, you know, I talked about the authority and the power that the governor has in the state of Missouri. I talked about the things that the governor can do because he has authority as a representative of the people. He said, but also what I did as people that I was campaigning to and as people that I was offering to, uh, or that I was asking to trust me to represent them, they would send me messages of things that were going on in their communities and in their lives. And he said, you know, sometimes if these were disaster things like storms or riots, I would show up and I would walk beside them as they sought to either put their life together or as they sought to work through the issues that they were gathering for in these in these riots and in these these um, marches. He said, I would walk along beside them, whether they agreed with me or not, trying to get to know them and to be with them as these things that brought them care and concern. God says, I am the creator God of the universe. I am all powerful, all knowing. I am wholly righteous. And I want to walk beside you in your life day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. And if we think about what God's promises are in this covenant, even the promise to be Abraham's God, these promises are rather one sided. What can God bring to the table in relationship with Abraham? Everything. God gave Abraham life. God is going to give Abraham children. God is going to give Abraham's descendants the land. God is going to protect Abraham's descendants, even in the abomination of slavery in Egypt. God can give everything to Abraham and his descendants. What can Abraham bring to the table? Nothing. Maybe some obedience here and there. Maybe some following here and there. But Abraham can do nothing for God that will bring him more glory. Abraham can do nothing for God that will improve God's relationship. So God's role in this covenant is to be the God of Abraham and the God of Abraham's descendants. 
But even though Abraham can really bring nothing to the table, God gives Abraham some roles within this covenant as well as Sarah. What are the roles that Abraham and Sarah do? Well, we'll start with Sarah. Sarah's role was to trust God. Now we'll see how she reacts to this call to trust in chapter 18. We've seen how Abraham responds in this, and we'll look at it quickly here in a few minutes. But um, Sarah just has to trust at this point that God will do what he has promised to do and bring her a child to a 100-year-old man and a a 90-year-old woman to bring a child. So she just has to trust. She also has to be willing, once the time comes, to to have the child and to raise the child. which we'll talk about later on. But he gives Abraham three basic things to do, and these things, I believe, are passed to the descendants as well. The first thing Abraham has to do is to walk before me, or walk before God. God says in verse 1, I am God Almighty, walk before me. Now what does it mean to walk before God? We, we talk about our walk with God. Sometimes a pastor or an elder might ask you, how's your walk with God going? What do we mean by that? Commentator Bruce Waltke says that to walk before God means that we orient our entire life to God's presence, to his promises, and to his demands. This is what John Calvin described with the Latin phrase quorum deo, which means roughly in the presence of God. Walking before God means to intentionally keep the knowledge before us that everything we do, everything we say, everything we think either brings God glory or detracts from it. And it is trying to bring our lives into compliance with the demands that God has given. It's a long process. It's a lifelong process from the time we're converted to the time we die. But walking before God is saying, all right, God, I understand Psalm 139. In 139, the psalmist says, when I wake up, when I go to bed, when I think, when I speak, when I act, when I run, when I sin, you know everything. And I want to live my life in such a way that that knowledge brings me hope and not fear. That that knowledge brings me joy and not a sense of dread because of my sin, because I'm not living according to your demands. Walking before God merely means be holy as I am holy. The second thing that Abram is called to is to be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. We have a tendency when we see this word blameless to think perfect, sinless. That's not the idea that it is built up in the word. The word comes from the root for whole. W-H-O-L-E. It's a a root that the uh, Hebrew word for integrity comes from as well. Abraham is called to walk before God in wholeness and integrity. Not lack of sin, but in wholeness and in integrity. What does this mean for us humans? Well, what it means is that as we strive to walk before God, as we strive to conform to his promises, his presence and his demands, we know we're going to fail. We know we're going to mess up. And the wholeness of the relationship that has been given to us through Jesus Christ means that we can confess and repent and turn back toward trying to walk before God, even when we sin. It means that when we sin, we don't run from God, we don't hide from God, we admit our sin, we confess it, and we walk and can try again in the power of the Spirit to be better. 
I truly believe that these go hand in hand. The more we walk before God, the more a relationship of wholeness and integrity will have. And the more of a relationship of wholeness and integrity with God before that we pursue, the better and the easier our walk before him will be. This is both sides of the relationship that Abram has with God. Walk before him, understand his commands, live in the hope of his promises, live in the knowledge of his reality and have an, a relationship of integrity with God. I think many times if we would just pursue right confession, right repentance, our walk with God would be so much easier. Now, the third command that Abram is given is given to him and to his descendants. Actually, I can start saying Abraham all the time now because we have come to the official name change for Abraham in the Bible here. And the meaning of that is there. Uh, you can find in the footnotes typically of your Bible. Um, instead of being most exalted father, he is now the father of many. Sarah is princess in one language to princess in another, which is tied to her being the mother of kings. But God gives Abraham the sign of circumcision. God, is, God tells Abraham to take himself, to take Ishmael, all the male members of his household, whether they be family, whether they be servant, and have them circumcised. Now circumcision is an outward sign that points to a spiritual in addition to physical reality. Outwardly, circumcision marked the Israelites of God's people. Now, the Israelites were not the only people in the ancient Near East that practiced circumcision. They were the only ones that did it at the eighth day of life. Uh, typically, this practice, this rite, this ritual was done at the age of 13 when a, as a sign that a, a young boy had become a man, had matured. Uh, by the way, in the ancient Near East, all of you in here that were under the age of, you know, that are over the age of 13 should be out uh, having a job, helping your parents pay for stuff. No, just kidding. Um, but so outwardly, it marked them from birth as the people of God. But there's a spiritual dimension to this as well. In Deuteronomy 10, chapter, verse 16, and in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, Moses tells the people that physical circumcision is not enough. There has to be a circumcision of the heart. It's a picture that Ezekiel picks up, that the prophets pick up. Jeremiah in the New Covenant says that the law will be written on the heart because God has circumcised the stony part of the heart and replaced it with a fleshly part. It's a picture of the fact that we must put off the old man and put on the new. Circumcision also points to the fact that a bloody ritual is necessary for a person to be considered the people of God. The sacrificial system of Leviticus expands on this concept and it is all fulfilled in the cross. We don't do circumcision in the church today to be marked as the people of God. We do baptism. It's a sign and a seal, much like circumcision, that you are the people of God and the promises are there for you when you believe in faith. You know, you could be part of the people of God, but not the people of God. You can be member of this physical representation of the people of God we call the church or in Abraham's time we called Israel but you may not be a true person of God because your heart has not been circumcised you have not believed in faith on the work that Jesus did on the cross to abolish this sign for us the symbol for us and to change it to the sign of baptism and so you may be marked by the sign 
but you may not be covered by the sign. And we know this by the fact that Ishmael was circumcised. Was Ishmael the elect person of the promise? No, Isaac was the child of promise, and yet Ishmael still has the mark of the people of God. So Abraham is called to walk before God. He's called to be blameless. He's called, called to uh, the sign of circumcision for him, his household. How does he respond? Well, Abram responds twice by falling face down. I think this is an understanding of God's power in the first instance. It's a misunderstanding of God's ability to bring him a son in the second instance, which we will look at here in a moment. But in the first instance, Abram fell face down before God after God came to him. It's an understanding of the power, the majesty, the glory. Abram worshipped before God. In the call to circumcision, he was immediately obedient. So he worshipped and he was immediately obedient. Verse 25, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God had told them. But he also responds in doubt. Regarding the promise of Isaac, he responds with laughter and with doubt. Or with bargaining, excuse me. So Abram falls face down in verse 17 and he laughs. Now why does Abraham laugh? Abraham laughs because he's 100 years old. And Sarah is 90 years old. And that's problematic for having a baby. Without going into too much detail. So God looks at Abraham and he says, You're going to have a son and Sarah is going to be the mother. And Abraham goes, Ah! <laughs> Can you take Ishmael instead? And that's where we see the bargaining here. He's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. I'm 48 years old, and it's hard to me to fathom that what happened if God would give me a child to raise when my youngest is 15? Can you imagine what Abraham's thinking? Look, God, I've spent 13 years raising Ishmael. You sure he can't be the one so that I don't have to go through the pain, the joy, the heartache, the struggle, the strife of raising another child at, may I remind you, a hundred years old? Think of that. He bargains with God, hopefully getting out of this. But God says no. Now, Abram here is open to correction. We know he's open to correction because after he laughed, after he bargained, he very humbly went and obeyed God. We'll see here that it takes Sarah a little bit longer in chapter 18 to be as open to correction. In fact, Isaac has to be born before she's willing to be open to the correction that God gives. So this laughter, this bargaining is not out and out rebellion. It's just saying, God, are you sure? Okay, you're sure. I'll, I'll roll with it. The God... God came to him, though, and, and as his God, very tenderly dealt with him and says, Nope. I will, bless Israel, I will bless Ishmael, but Isaac is your son. And Isaac is named Isaac because you laughed. Sarah's going to laugh, both of you in doubt. But when he's born, they laugh in joy and trust and in glory at seeing God's promises revealed. So Isaac's name kind of has a double meaning there. We'll see as we fill out. As I mentioned before, in our tradition, we view baptism as the sacrament that replaces circumcision. And baptism, like circumcision, is open to everybody. How do we know 
that the nation of Israel was not limited just to the physical descendants of Abraham. We know it from today's passage because it wasn't just Ishmael who was circumcised. It was the people who came into his household from outside his own physical descent. It was the servants he had bought. It was the men who served underneath him. It was every, every male in his household. We would be in trouble if we read this book and said, and God told Abram to, to circumcise Ishmael and Isaac only, and only the physical descents of Abraham, because those are the ones who are God's people. But we use baptism now instead of the bloody rite of circumcision because the blood has been shed to circumcise our hearts, to make us righteous before God. The blood has been shed on the cross. We celebrate now Advent, the expectation of Jesus' arrival as a babe. But He didn't just show up as a baby. He died on the cross so that our hearts could be circumcised by the power of the Holy Spirit and we could have the symbol of baptism as a symbol of that cleansing, as the seal of the benefits of salvation from the Spirit. As we leave today, I want us to to remember three things. I want us to understand that we don't have to wait 13 years between the time that God speaks to us. We have His Word with us every day. Many of us have multiple copies of the Bible in our homes and on our phones or on our tablets and on our computers. We have access to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You wonder why God doesn't speak to you? Maybe because you're not opening the words that He's given to us. The second thing I want us to remember is we are called to do the same thing Abram did. At least the first two things. We are called to walk before God and to be blameless. 1 Timothy 3 lists out qualifications for officers in the church, but Paul says, kind of hints at the fact at the beginning that these just qualifications aren't just for the uh, officers of the church, they're for everybody in the church. You should be exhibiting these things in your life before you're considered to be an officer. And one of the things in there is to be above reproach. Above reproach is linked to the word blameless that we have here. It's walking a life of integrity before God where we confess our sins, where we struggle well with the sins that beset us. We wrestle with the lion that tempts us and and we embrace the power of the Holy Spirit to be holy. And also what I want us to remember today is that the God who is the creator of the universe, who spoke all things into existence, through the blessing of Abraham down to us today, He is our God. He walks with us when we hurt. He walks with us when we rejoice. And He brings all of His power to bear on our lives so that we might be held closely to Him. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God, be with us today. Remind us to walk before You and to be blameless. Remind us to be holy as You are holy. And remind us that You are our God. And we are the sheep of your pasture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.